Are you the son of God? I am. this day. I love preaching on this day. It's kind of like, like preaching on a day like today on Easter Sunday. It's kind of like pitching on opening day in Major League Baseball or, or playing in the Final Four. It's only better because this lasts longer. It lasts all through eternity, and so it's really cool. Uh, I'm grateful to get to be here today. What, a, what an awesome day. We have, uh, we've had uh, th- Three services here. We're going to have three services total here today. And uh, we have an overflow area. And so if you're watching, you're in the overflow area. I hear it's full today. So I want to thank all of you who are in our overflow area. And, and it's just an awesome day. We're, we're doing that twice or three times in our overflow area today. And then we have a service at 11 o'clock in Tulsa at Calvary that Rob Lewis is preaching this same passage. And I just love what God's doing in the life of our church and how God has moved us and is leading us and, and is at work in, in Owasso and Tulsa and, and we get to be right in the middle of God's work in the world. And I'm so grateful. And, uh, you know, um, I, I need your help. I'm doing a little survey today uh, to help solve a, a little a little disagreement on our staff, okay? So in every one of our Easter services, I'm doing a survey. So I've got a little help in my back. Uh, how many of you are Coke people? You would say you're, you're a Coke person. Raise your hand. Be proud. Okay. Uh, Keith Davis is, an, is a Coke person on our staff. I took this picture this morning before he put his shirt on. It was awesome. Uh, I, I go, hey, man, just hold this and kiss this pop. And he's like, absolutely. And he just puckered up. Um, and uh, you know that you can pour Coke on your battery in your car if acid is pulling, is spilled out, and it'll clear it. You know that? And you like putting that in your body, you people? Um, that, that's, that's, I just want you to know, that's just something to think about. Um, how many of you are Dr. Pepper people? Who would be? Hey, Larry Culpepper is absolutely right. I mean, that guy, I, I like that guy. I'm a Dr. Pepper person. I, that's my drink of choice. I love Dr. Pepper. Uh, Larry, we all love Larry. Who can't love Larry? That's awesome. Um, now, this I don't understand. Who, who of you are Diet Coke people? Raise your hand. Yeah, I'd be ashamed. I would. Uh, you know, <clears throat> Brad Ayler is a Diet Coke person. That aftertaste is the sickest thing I've ever put in my mouth, and I, I've never gotten used to that. But, but Brad Ayler will fight you over, over a Diet Coke. We'll, we'll go to lunch, and I always order him water. And uh, he's like, I drink water. It's just black water. And, uh, and uh, it's the grossest stuff ever causes cancer. Um, but... <laughs> Um, but you know, what's right, if I was going to say which is the best, you know, uh, we would all disagree, right? Because, uh, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a philosopher, an American philosopher named Mortimer Adler. He died in 2001. And he, he articulated uh, how to determine truth. And he, and he had two, two ways that we could determine truth. One of those ways is a matter of taste. You know, like, like Coke, Dr. Pepper, or Diet Coke. If we were to determine what is true, well, well, I don't know. It's a matter of taste. You know, some of you would say, yeah, I like Coke. I like Dr. Pepper. I like Diet Coke. Uh, it's a matter of taste. And, and you know, Mortimer Adler would say, well, okay, it's up to you. Um, you know, there's, there's another way to determine truth. You can't determine every truth on a matter of taste. 
For example, the, the, the second way to determine truth, according to Mortimer Adler, he said you determine truth some ways, you have to determine truth by a matter, matter of fact. For example, a math is a matter of fact. Two times two is what? Four. Now, now regardless of how you feel, regardless of your preference, two times two will never be six, right? Because two times two is always four. Because that's a matter of fact. Okay, uh, if I were to stand up here today and argue persuasively and passionately that uh, Abraham Lincoln was the first president of the United States, I could be persuasive, I could be passionate, but I would be persuasively and passionately wrong, right? Because Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president of the United States. George Washington was the first president of the United States. Aren't you glad you learned something in church today, right? But history is not a matter of taste or preference. History is a matter of fact, right? Well, well here we, we, there's been a seismic shift in our world. There's a lot of people that look at me and, and will say, hey, your faith in Christ, that's good for you. But, but you know, that's not good for me. I prefer to worship something else or someone else. And, and you know, it's interesting because that, that's really the, 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 re, the reality of our pluralistic world. We live in a pluralistic world. That means that, that there's a, a, a lot of views about God. There's a pluralistic view of, there's pluralistic views of God. Now, the problem with, with having a, uh, an idea of, of taking our faith in Christ and, 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 and determining truth by a matter of taste is that our faith in Christ is grounded in history. It's grounded at, in a moment in time that Jesus came. And, and, and there's a reason that all over the world today, Christians are gathering and they're celebrating the fact that Jesus rose from the dead because that was a moment in history. It was a moment in time. And that's what our faith is grounded in. That, like Jesus really did come. And, and what's amazing about, about Jesus is it was, a, it was a miraculous way that he came. God entered human history in a, in a supernatural way. He was born of a virgin, and, and, and people have tried to explain it, and they're like, hey, we can't explain that. It was, it was, it was outside of experience, of human nature, of, of what is normal. And then Jesus lived this life that was, that was incredible. I mean, people that heard him teach would say about Jesus, man, you teach like someone that has authority. And of course he did. Why? Because he was there when the earth was, when, when God said, let there be light, Jesus was there. And, and he entered human history, and when he taught, people were captivated by his teaching. They were captivated by his knowledge. And, but then, you know what, he, he also lived this life that, that he, he performed these miracles, and people would go, oh my goodness, how, how can you do that except you're from God? And, and the way he lived was, was really without compare. And people recorded in the history that, that this Jesus lived, and he performed miracles. And, and he lived this life that was incredible. But then, you know, we know there was a moment in time that Jesus, he went to the cross and he died. And then he rose from the dead. I mean, history and, 
It's not just the scripture that communicates this. History points to this. This this is a moment in time. And I I want you you to know uh, the seismic shift that has taken place is is incorrect. Because because we can't look at our faith in Christ and say, oh, it's like Coke and Dr. Pepper and Diet Coke. That doesn't work. You can't look at our faith and say, oh, that's good for you, but it's not good for me. Because the reality is, Jesus rose from the dead. He died on the cross, and he rose from the dead, and that changed everything. You know, we've been in this series where we've been looking at the, at the last words of Christ. And the last words of a person are very important. And, and the last thing that Jesus said from the cross was, was is, is, is something that, that, that we've got to turn to. If you have your Bibles, turn to John. And the book of John, we're going to be today in, in chapter, chapter 19. And, and we, we started this last week in John 19. And, and we looked at the, the, the first two things that John lists that, that Jesus proclaimed from the cross. And tonight, this morning, we're going to turn our attention to the last thing that he said. But just for context's sake, I want us to read together verses 23 through 30. Now, if you're visiting today, we're so glad you're here. But, but we have a practice at our church. We like to stand in honor of reading God's word. And it's just simply a way to acknowledge that, that this is not my word to you. This is God's word to us. And it's so important for us every, every week. And, and we hope that you come back week after week and, and join with us in our, in our walk with the Lord. Because we need God's word. And, and as, as a pastor, I'm committed to not just get up and give you my philosophy in life. Because that won't get you very far. But God's word shapes us and directs us. And, and, I, and I pray that you come and join us week after week as we walk with the Lord. And experiencing him work. So would you stand with us in honor of God's word. Let's read John chapter 19 verse 23. That's where we're going to start. Now when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on the hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, what an amazing moment. What an amazing thing to say. Now, we got to recognize, and this is one of the things I, I pray you get today, and I pray that you come away with today, that, that the, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ was a moment in history. 
It was historic. It was, a, it, was a, it was a historic event. It was a moment that we can look back to in time. And, and it was huge. I mean, honestly, I believe that this moment in history was the focal point of all history in the world. Because, you know, when you think about it, the, everybody before Christ came was looking forward that, that a Messiah was going to come, a rescuer was going to come. And now we look backwards and, and realize that a Messiah came and, and he changed the world. He changed history. He changed my history. And, and, and you know, I, I pray that, that the Lord has changed yours. You know, it's important for us to recognize that the the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ was a moment in time, and that's huge for us. It was also an abnormal event, a strange event. I mean, the crucifixion of Christ was, was, was an innocent man that had gone to the cross, it was, Jesus had, had, had no sin. He, he had never made a mistake. He had never had a bad thought. He, he had never looked at a woman lustfully. I mean, he, he, he never disobeyed his parents. He, he, he never let his anger get out of control. Never. And yet he went to the cross. You know, at Passion Week, it was, an, it was such an amazing experience. I loved my part of that because I, I would help people process it after, after they would go through. And, and there was a little boy, a seven-year-old boy that had come through. And I, I started every time with the, as we debriefed it. And I said, hey, what'd you learn? What, what is something you saw? And this little boy, seven years old, goes, I have a question. I go, shoot, man, what, what is it? Shoot your question at me. He goes, I, I don't, Jesus Never sinned, right? He never made a mistake, right? Here's my question. He never made a mistake as a toddler? And I go, that's a great question. High five, man. I mean, because no, he didn't. He never made a mistake as a toddler. Now, now I remember my kids as toddlers, right? Do you remember yours if you had those? I mean, I remember I have a redhead in my life. And I remember looking at my kids going, come out, demon, you know, come out of you. But Jesus never made a mistake, ever. And the cross was strange because an innocent man went to the cross. How, how abnormal. But, but I want you to see the cross and the, and the resurrection, it was a supernatural event. It was supernatural. God did something that was out of the norm. And what I'm amazed at, 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 my, at as I look at people in the world, people neglect the supernatural. They, they, they neglect the spiritual. And it's the cross and the resurrection was a supernatural event. Look back at verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, what does he say? It is finished. And then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. I mean, think about that statement. It is finished. That, that's a huge statement. I'm, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, that's an amazing statement. Uh, that, that's, that's a powerful statement. It, it, it's, it's this statement that, 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 that changed everything. I mean, it is finished. What was finished? Well, what did Jesus finish in that moment as he, as he proclaims loudly, it is finished, and then he bowed his head and gave his life? Well, the first thing that was finished is this, is, is Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies. That, that was what was happening. The, the mo- moment that Jesus was on the cross and he proclaimed it is finished, all the prophecies 
were fulfilled. Now, now, it's interesting as, as you think about that, as you think about uh, just even what John had said. Look, look at the passage. Look at verse 24. Uh, he says, so they said to one another, let us not tear it. The, 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 the guards are there, and they say to one another, let's not tear his, his garment, but they cast lots for it to see, him who, see who it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. These guys were not trying to fulfill prophecy. Jesus made sure every prophecy was fulfilled. Look at verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that it was all now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on the hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Look, look how the, the prophecies were fulfilled. Look at verse 36. We didn't read it today, but I want to right now. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. And I want you to see that, that when Jesus entered human history, he fulfilled every prophecy that was made about him. And this is why I love how Peter, uh, how he articulated in his book this incredible statement. Now, this is one of those statements you've got to think about and you've got to listen to, but I want you to hear it. He, said, he writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, 10 through 12, he says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the things that have now been told to you searched intently and with the greatest care. Look at this. Trying to find the times and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing. When they predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you and me. When they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those that have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And then Peter writes, even angels long to look into these things. Isn't that amazing? These prophets, the prophecies were fulfilled through Jesus. Now, I'm going to go through these fast, and if you're really fast at writing, you can write these down. But I want to just give you some of them. Like this, Jesus, it was told that Jesus would be of the woman's seed, Genesis 3.15, and then he was born of a woman. His mother would be a virgin, Isaiah 7.14. It was literally fulfilled in Matthew 1.18. He would be the seed of Abraham, Genesis twenty two eighteen, and then it happened in Matthew 1, 1. He would be the lineal descendant of David, 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 13, then he actually was in Romans 1, 3. He would be named before he was born, Isaiah 49, 1, and then it took place in Luke 1, 30 through 31. He would be born in Bethlehem of Judea, Micah 5, 2, and that was... He, his birth would entail sorrow for others, Jeremiah 31, 15, and then it was tragically fulfilled in Matthew 2, 14 through 18. Jesus would have to flee into Egypt and would re- return into Palestine, Hosea 11, 1, Isaiah 49, 3, and verse 6, and then it came to pass in Matthew 2, 14 and 15. There would be one who would come before Christ to prepare his way, Malachi 3, 1, and then it was 
was fulfilled in John the Baptist. The, and then this is what was said about Jesus. The eyes of the blind shall be opened. The deaf will hear. The lame will walk. Those unable to speak will sing in Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. And then Jesus did all of it. You see, these were prophesied hundreds of years before he came. And then Jesus fulfilled every prophecy. He said, it is finished. But, but can I tell you, there's another prophecy that Jesus proclaimed, that there will be a day that he will return. And can I tell you, that has not been fulfilled yet, but there will be a day Christ will return. And can I tell you, this is why following Christ must not be mildly important to us. You see, for many on Easter, this is a cultural experience. This is the time, I got to go get a new shirt and go to church. But, but see, when, when you realize that Jesus really did rise from the dead, that he really did come for us. This is why following Christ must not be mildly important to us. That This must not be just simply a cultural experience. There's only one way to, to receive the resurrection, the crucifixion and the resurrection, and that is to, to follow Christ with all we have and, and to look to him every day and turn our face to him and walk with Jesus and allow him to and surrender to his voice every day. And can I just plead with you this morning? That, that if, if you're here today and, and following Christ is mildly important to you, that you see him, that you hear these words, it is finished. And you realize that this was supernatural. This was a moment that God moved in the world. And in this moment, today, God is still at work. And he's brought you here to confront us and to speak to us and to move us and to work in us and work through us. You know, there, there's got to be some here that you've never really seen Jesus. You've never really put your faith in him. And today, I just want to get up in front of you and say, he came for you. Jesus said, it is finished. And that prof and all the prophecies were fulfilled, but that's not it. When Jesus said, it is finished, you know what happened? Jesus completely destroyed the power of Satan. You know, I'm, I'm amazed at the people that I, that I meet that neglect the spiritual things in life. You know, at Passion Week, we saw that I know of 11 people that came to faith in Christ. 11 people trusted in Christ at Passion Week. And, and it was so amazing. In our 8 o'clock service, there, there were three, three young men baptized. One, one was a dad and a son that were baptized. One, one was a, a baseball player for Owasso that, that, that came to Christ at Sonic. And uh, he was at Sonic, and he and I were hanging out. And, and, and he, God was speaking to his heart. He was like, you know what, I need Jesus. And, and I was telling Eric that, that, you know what, if you put on spiritual glasses and you looked at, at, at his life before we went to Sonic, 
he was, he was stuck with, he, he was sinful. He, 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 the penalty of sin was on him. And, and if you were to put on spiritual glasses, and, and I'll tell you what, if, if we were able to do that, I guarantee you every one of us would follow Christ with all we have if we recognize that the spiritual world is a reality. But sometimes we forget, and sometimes we go, oh, you know what, I'm too smart for that. You know, I'll reason myself out of that. That's the biggest problem in America. So we think that this isn't real. But I want you to see that this, the resurrection and the crucifixion of Christ was, is not just a story on a page. It was a moment in time. And when Jesus did that, when he said it is finished, he accomplished something supernatural and spiritual. And you know what happened is, is when, because he said it is finished, you, you know what that, what that means? It means that, that the sin no longer sticks to us. And it was so amazing to watch the baptisms in our 8 o'clock service and, and we'll have three more in our next service that, that, that as, they, as they're in that water and they go down and they come back up and that water washes off of them. It's a picture of what happens spiritually when you're saved. Sin is washed away. It no longer sticks to you. It no longer destroys you. That changed me. That moved me, and, 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 and it's why I can't be mildly, uh, Jesus can't be mildly important to me or to you. You know, something supernatural happened when Jesus said it is finished. Another, another thing that, that uh, this, this week, Monday, last Monday, I get a phone call at, at, at staff meeting at, at noon. Pete Cantrell's about to die. Pete Cantrell was a, is a mentor in my life. He was a deacon at the first church I served at, full, my first full-time position. And he was a man that shaped my life. You know, you go to a church to pastor, and you go, man, oh Lord, I hope you use me to teach them. And, and then you meet guys like Pete, and, and he shaped my life. So I, I, I leave staff. I drive to Ardmore, Oklahoma, where he was in the hospital, just to pray with him and say thank you for impacting my life. He died at 4.23 on Friday. And, and tomorrow, tomorrow night, I'm going to drive to Ada and sit with his family. I get to preach his funeral. And, and you know what? I want you to know something about death. Death's not the end. You know, Pete, he believed in Jesus and, and, and he wasn't afraid to walk across that river of death. He wasn't afraid. And can I be honest with you? If, if, if I bet there's some in this room that the, 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 even the thought of that terrifies you. Well, let me tell you something. Because of the resurrection and because of what Jesus did, because he finished everything, you know, death, death is defeated. And this is what the Scripture says. Death has been defeated, and I want you to know that. And this is why it cannot be mildly important. You know, we all have loved ones that have gone before us. And because of Jesus, death is no longer has a sting. We sang that. Did you hear that? Do you know that? You know, you could leave this room today with the fear of death taken away from you. Because Jesus said, it is finished. The power of Satan was released. You've got to hear this verse, Hebrews 2, 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself 
likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those through fear of death who are subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus saved us. And can I tell you, I want you to see this today. Look back at verse 30, and, and, and when Jesus said, had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. You know what he's saying when he said, it is finished? This sacrifice was complete. Jesus fixed it all. And, 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 and this is what I pray we, we've seen this week at Passion Week. And, and this morning, the, the 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And I pray that you see today that when Jesus hung on the cross and when he said, it is finished, that was the moment in time that God became sin for you and me. And he took that sin on himself. And and that was the moment. And because it was the moment, Jesus is not a preference for us. And and we've got to see that. Jesus has to be our Lord and Savior and captivate our mind, our attention, and our loyalty for the rest of our days. You see, when Jesus said it is finished, he meant, he said so much. And, And I want you to see when he hung on the cross, When he went for you, Jesus was making this claim. When he said, it is finished, he was saying that he was the only sufficient sacrifice. Matthew tells us what happened. The second, Matthew says, the second that he, that he drew his last breath, he, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And Matthew records that, that in the temple where, where the sacrifices were made, the, can you imagine the chief priest being there and, and he's standing in front of the curtain and, and Matthew says the curtain was ripped from top to bottom. What was God saying? He was like, there's no more sacrifices that need to be made because Jesus gave up his spirit. He paid the price. He shed his blood. And that's why Isaiah said, by his wounds, we are healed. And then Matthew talks about that it was crazy because... um, After the curtain was torn, the earth shook, the rocks were split, tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after the resurrection, they went into the city. This was a supernatural event, and and I want you to know how big it was. When, when, When Jesus went to the cross, he secured my salvation. That's what he did for me. When he went to the cross, he did for me what I couldn't do for myself. And I'm so grateful that Jesus, Luke tells us in Luke 19, that the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. And you know what? Some of you may have walked in this room today. And the truth is, you're lost. If this is just a cultural experience for you, are you lost? Because it can't be that. You know, I went to Cambodia with the Roarks a couple weeks ago. And and it's just amazing. I got to pe- preach at a pastor's conference. And, and, and one day, uh, it was just fascinating because this whole country was, their, their main religion is Buddhism. 
And I'm such a nerd. I, I really am. And uh, I went jogging every day, and, and I, was, I would jog by these Buddhist temples. And it was interesting to me because right outside the Buddhist temples are these lions. And every time I'd go by, I'd run by this one every time. And, and I kept thinking about the, the scripture that says Satan is a lion seeking whom he may devour. And, and you know, as I'm running through uh, Cambodia and Phnom Penh by the Mekong River, it was just a cool place to run. And, and I would run by these lions and I'd be like, you know, you don't have anything on me. I'm, people thought I was probably on drugs or something. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, this is epileptic or something. But I was like, man, Satan has no hold on me. And, 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 I, and I remember we were, we were going um, down by the river, and, and, and there were these people there. And they had these birds in these cages. And, and I, was, I was like, well, what's up with the birds? And there was, a, there was a, one of the PCF, the pastor that was with us, and he, he, he said, oh, yeah, those, those people sell these birds. I was like, oh, okay, they don't look like pets to me. They look like they just caught them. And, uh, and, and they did. They just caught these birds, and they put them in these cages, and people come and buy them. And then they release them because they think, I need to do a good deed today, so I'm going to release these birds so I can have good karma and, and please the, the gods and the demons. I thought, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of in all of my life. I mean, I mean, you really think that you're going to stand before God and go, hey, God, you should let me into heaven because I let some birds go one time. I'm like, really? That, that is so stupid. But then I thought, we do the same thing all the time. I meet people that go, hey, hey, God, I went to church on Easter. Come on. I, I put some money in the offering plate when it, bag when it went by. I, I let somebody in front of me in traffic. See, God, I'm good. No, we're not good. You see, God is holy. God is without sin. He's perfect. If, if holiness showed up in this room, we would be destroyed instantaneously because God's holy. And because he's holy, he punished sin. And sin is devastating. And see, when we see the cross, we want to turn away from it. We don't want to look at it, but we need to look at it because that's what our sin produces. Our sin destroys us. It's, it's brutal. It's unfair. It's unjust. It's destructive. That's what sin does. But see, Jesus came. And God, because he's also completely loving, provided the way for us to be saved. Jesus took our place. He took your place. He died on a cross, and he rose from the dead. And this is why following Christ must not be mildly important to us. And, and the sacrifice of Christ so transformed me that it's called me to walk with him and look to him and seek him every day. Do you see him? Can, can I just be in front of you today and 
plead with you, don't let another Easter go by and this just be a cultural experience. This be, oh, you know, it's not my preference. No. If Jesus, well, no, let me say it like this. Since Jesus went to the cross, since he rose from the dead, since he is at work right now, his Holy Spirit is at work, and this tug on your heart, can I tell you, it's not me. That's the Holy Spirit opening your eyes to the one who saved, wants to save your soul. And can I just plead with you to be like one of those 11 who came through the Passion Week experience and said, you know what, I need, I need Christ today. You know, it was so interesting. There were some people that came. And there, there, was, there was one that I, there were several, but, but one that I want to tell you about said, I don't, want, I don't want this. I don't want to go in there. I, I, I got to go. And she walked out. And, and you know what I thought when that happened? As she saw Jesus and what he did, she said, I can't, I'm out. That God loved her so much. He's not going to force her to come to him. Do you need to come to Jesus today? I believe God's brought you here for a reason. So can I just ask you to stop pushing him away? Come to him right now. I'm going to ask you to bow your head. And as you do, as you bow your head and close your eyes, I want to promise you something. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to um, manipulate you to come down front. I'm not going to sucker you into doing something in front of all the people here. Even in the overflow, there, there's our staff's going to be down front. But if you're here today, and you'd say, you know what, Chris? If, if I died today, I, I don't know what would happen to me. I'm not sure that I've trusted Christ as my Savior, but right now God's speaking to me. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? Is there anybody that would say, you know, that's me. I'm not going to embarrass you, I promise. I won't call you out. Is there anybody that would just trust me enough to say, you know what, that's me. I've never trusted Christ. Would you just raise your hand right where you are? Is there anybody? anybody. If God's speaking to you right now, and you know it, would you be willing to admit it to me? I give you my word, I'm going to embarrass you. Anybody? I'm just going to look for just one more minute. It's my prayer that for all of us today, Following Christ would never be mildly important. We're going to have an invitation, and, and I pray that, that you join us in our journey of learning to move 
every time God moves us. Some of you need to come and just pray. Some need to come to Christ. And our staff's going to be down here, and we'd love to help you. Our staff's going to be around. You could go talk to them. Uh, After this, you can talk to one of us. Honestly, that's why our church is here, to point this world to Jesus and to help you walk with the Lord. So I pray you join us on a weekly basis as we walk with the Lord and hear his voice and experience his work in this part of the world.